Welcome to Circle 3 Cowboy Fellowship's podcast. We are patriots, unafraid and unashamed to speak the truth and spread the gospel. Today's message is from Gary Lear. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Well, good morning, everybody. You guys can always tell when I'm still waiting on the Lord to finish my sermon because I give uh, Stacy more crap up here to buy a little time. He's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Great. <laughs> no. <clears throat> so uh we lost uh a pastor this past week to COVID. Um, he was my pastor for a long period of time. And um, while, uh, okay, me and the technology's having problems here this morning. While over the last several years, God called me away from his ministry, uh, and I think this is why, because he wanted this ministry um, I have to say that um, Terry Hedrick, if any of you knew who Terry Hedrick was, he was the, t- the pastor of the Nazarene Church in Delta, um, but he was also the man that introduced me to cowboy ministry. And so uh, while we separated from him back when this church was just kicking off and, and didn't go in the direction he was wanting to take us in, um, I have to say this church wouldn't be here without him and without the impact that he had and the influence he had on my life. And, uh, you know, God has a way of putting people in your life for a season, don't they? Doesn't he? And people who come into your life can influence you or, or vice versa, or he puts you into people's lives for a season. And I think it's our job to influence them. But I kind of wanted to share the early beginnings of our church so that you guys could get an idea of of um, how we came to be who we are. Because going to the funeral yesterday, I, I not only saw him, who was the first pastor, then I saw uh, the other man, who was the second pastor, that, that I followed. And so um, it was good to see them, and, to, and or to, see, to see Rick, and to hear that he's doing well in Durango, and uh, have conversation with him. And, um, but it brought back a flood of memories. And so I wanted to start with sharing a few of those memories about Circle 3 and kind of how we got started. Some of you know it and some of you don't. Uh, I think Cindy and I are the last founding members of Circle 3. And I mentioned that to Jim the other day as as, um, they're starting the Salida Church. You know, John Coe, who is my mentor uh, in Texas, told me when we started this church, he said, It'll be, it'll be a rare thing if very many of you founders are still around in the church after the church gets established. And that seems to be kind of a norm. And, uh, and, and that's okay because, you know, God puts people in our lives for a season. And, and, and I don't believe for one minute that because Cindy and I founded this church, this church is here solely due to the efforts of Cindy and I. There are a lot of people in our lives 
that have contributed to this church being here. And, um, and I, so I want to share a little of that. But we started off, um, for those of you who, who know a little of my story, I, I got called into ministry early in my life. I was 19 when I took the first time I got called and told God no. <laughs> and uh, second time he called me, I was just uh, maybe in next year, and I said, God, no. Third time he called me, I'm like, God, I'm not going to be one of those guys. And I'm not going to be one of those guys who go to work in a suit and tie. I'm not going to be one of those guys who are socially awkward around other people because people don't know how to be around them. And God convinced me I didn't have to be. So I said, okay, then I'll go. And we came to Bible college. And, and uh, I moved out to Colorado. Uh, I w- I'd lived here before, moved home for a while, and came back. And came to Colorado Springs in a borrowed truck that had baling wire holding the front bumper on it. We were broke, and God saw to it that we had money to travel. The two Nazarene churches in Columbia, Missouri took up an offering for us and then sent us off with $1,400 in our pocket, and that's all we had, and a truck with bailing wire. I might have had a spare roll of bailing wire if I needed it. And we started out across Kansas, and, and my oldest girl, Brittany, was four years old at the time, five years old at the time, just getting ready to start kindergarten, and, and we got to Salina, Kansas, and I noticed as I was downshifting that truck, it felt kind of weird. And I went a few more miles, and the transmission seized up on it. And we're pulling this little trailer with almost everything we own packed into it, plywood sides and tarps. You know, we were kind of the clampets. I did not have my wife riding on top in a rocking chair, but other than that, we were kind of the clampets. And, uh, but it's just funny how God, as I look back and reminisce, because that's kind of what this funeral did to me, is caused me to start reminiscing about how I got to where I'm at now. <laughs> I, I ask that question a lot. Lord, how did I end up here? But God had his hand in it all the way. And uh, we pulled into a truck stop, and it was probably 2 a.m. in the morning, and, and uh, maybe midnight, and... Uh, <laughs> I went to go call my best friend back home, who was a farmer, and he had trucks and trailers, and he said, if you have any problem, you call me, I'll come get you, I don't care where you're at. And so I went to go use the payphone to call him and tell him you need to come get us, and I picked up the payphone and the cord was cut. (laughs) I guess God didn't want me quitting when I look at that. You know, you can look at that a couple different ways, and we can look at events like that in our lives where it seems like God... (laughs) Can I catch a break? And the truth of the matter is, God is guiding us and directing us down the path that he wants us to go. Because if I would have called Troy and he would have come and got us, I would have called off the whole deal. I would have said, God, you didn't support me out on the road. I'm not going to Bible college. I'm not going to do it. But God wasn't going to let that happen. And so... I thought, oh, well, I guess I'll walk across the interstate in the dark. That's a smart thing to do. In Kansas, where there is no speed limit. Don't tell me otherwise. And so I start out the, 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 you know how those parking, or those uh, rest areas got those long exit ramps out. So I start walking out on the exit ramp. Pretty soon here comes the little red flashing lights. And usually that meant, oh, crap, I'm getting a speeding ticket. You know, I mean, when I saw but it was a state trooper that pulled up, and he had seen our truck sitting there at the, at the entrance, and pulls up to me, and he says, um, are you having problems? And I told him my situation. 
And he said, let me see if I can get a hold of a tow truck for you. And so he called the tow truck. And as we're waiting on the tow truck, we started talking. And he found out that we were coming out to go to Bible college. And it just so happened I didn't know that God invented state troopers who were Christians. But there's at least one, and he was in Kansas. And he attended the Nazarene Church right there in Salina, Kansas. And he was so excited, he just wanted to help. And he wanted to be a part of it. And so he called the tow truck and he waited with us while the truck arrived. He called ahead and made arrangements as to where we were going to take it to the shop. Actually, the man that owned the tow truck owed the shop, which just happened to be in the parking lot of the Comfort Inn in Salina, Kansas. And so the state trooper, it's the only time I've been in one of those cars without handcuffs, put me in that car and gave us a ride, my wife and my five-year-old and the tow truck took our little truck with the wired-on bumper and trailer and everything we owned back. And God just kept working. We went to sleep that night and woke up the next morning and called over to the shop. And the man at the shop just happened to have one of those trucks out back that he was using for parts. That just happened to have the exact transmission that we needed. And it just happened to cost $700, which was half of our money. But it didn't take it all. And we loaded, we got that thing fixed, and by dark we were back on the road again. And we drove for as far as we could before we needed sleep again. And I'll never, I'll never forget Brittany. She's little, and, and, and here we are in this, and this was a single cab truck. No, no extended cab here. It's a Nissan. I mean, they're little, you know. And I remember pulling into another rest stop, and we're now we're in western Kansas out there somewhere quite a ways maybe eastern Colorado, and we pulled in, and, and, and there's no reclining the seat, there's no nothing, you grab a pillow and you try to get against the door, and I was against the door on this side, and Cassie was against the door on this side, and Brittany was stretched out between us, legs on, head on one end, legs on the other, and, and we slept there for several hours, and, and as we woke up, she, Brittany had slept the whole time, by the way, and as we woke up, my five-year-old goes, Dad, I didn't sleep very good last night. And I thought, I do not want to hear it right now. But God got us here. And it was a challenge that summer. I was an electrician, and I had to have my master's, or my electrical journeyman's license in order to, to make enough money to support us in Colorado Springs while I went to school. And we had come out several months early, so we were living with some friends in Grand Junction, and I was working, and, and uh, I took my journeyman's test. And that's a 20% pass, that state test on the first go-around. But God let me pass it, and we got to Colorado. He just always had his hand on us the whole time. And, and then, of course, I got into Bible college and, and decided I didn't need God anymore, and, and I took a different route. We ended up divorced, and I, I did some bad things. and did a, I just didn't live for God. And as we came out of that, as I started moving out of that, it put me into about a six-year period of time where I ran from God and I was ashamed. I couldn't even face my family. I didn't want to talk to my family. Certainly couldn't talk to church people. I would find myself going to churches, trying different churches where people didn't know me. And that's, I think I've shared with you where I walked in and I needed that church and I needed God and the church rejected me by the way I was dressed and the way I looked. And, and uh, we're not going to do that at Circle 3, by the way. We're not going to reject people. We love people when they come in the door. The more messed up they are, there's two reasons I like messed up people. Reason number one, that gives me an opportunity to share Jesus and see a life changed. 
reason number two, maybe I don't look as messed up then. <laughs> we like messed up people, people who need Jesus. That's who we want here. But anyway, we moved out of that, and, and that took me down a path where I ended up in a second marriage, and that was ugly. And So, but God has always had his hand in this. And as I came out of that relationship, I lost everything I had over there. She pretty near cleaned me out. And uh, I moved over here, and I had gone out, and I had traded trucks. I traded a vehicle, and I had some bad experience with a job site and an accident on the road with a piece of equipment. And the rental company who decided to fill out a blank check on me and clean my whole bank account out. Nonetheless, when I put a deposit down on the truck that I bought, a used truck, I bounced the check. And, uh, and that all is taking place as my wife is gone and everything's falling apart around me. And, I mean, God has just brought me to the bottom. And uh, I moved over here. And uh, I knew there was work over here because everything I, just exp- I, I was just done over there. On, in, in Park, Park County. So anyway, I get over here, and I probably told this story before, but I didn't have the money to put plates on the truck, so I have temp tags that had expired, and I got really good with a black Sharpie. Changing the dates. You guys didn't know your preacher was such a bad boy, did you? I wasn't joking about the handcuff thing, by the way, but we're not going to go down that path. But anyway, so I get over here, and it's the first day I'm here. The very first day I'm here, and God hadn't quit on me yet, even though I had quit on him, and I had turned my back on him. And it's the very first day, and I had contracted to do some electrical work for a a man over here, and we'd gone out to the job site, and I was coming back into town to meet my cousin for lunch, and I'm coming through Cold Creek, and I'm going a little bit faster than I should. Now, you would think anybody who has got homemade license plates might not want to break the speed limit, but I was not the sharpest tool in the sheds back then. So I'm coming along, and this sheriff's deputy passes me and turns around, and I knew for a fact that I had bounced that check, and I was waiting to get paid on the job that I was doing so that I could make good on that check, but for that interim period of time, let me inform you, when you bounce a check for the purchase of a vehicle, it's considered grand theft auto. It is, and there was a warrant out for me, and now I've got a sheriff's deputy coming up my tailpipe, and I thought, this is not going to end well, and I pulled over, and he pulls over behind me, and my, my, my homemade temp tag is stuck in my back window of my truck, and he comes up, and he looks at that temp tag, and he comes on up, and explains to me what I had done wrong. And I knew what I had done wrong. And I was going 10 miles an hour over, whatever it was. It was right in front of Gene Seymour's house, if you know where Gene Seymour lives. Your house. And um, pulls me up. And so anyway, when it was all said and done, he says, is the truck new to you? And I said, yeah, it is. He had seen the tag. I'm not that good of an artist, folks. From a distance, yes, but not at point-blank range. And he had seen the tag, and I don't know. He didn't even give me a ticket. He said, you need to slow down and let me go. Now, God had a plan for me. And going to jail, apparently, wasn't part of that plan. 
So I drove in to Taco Bell. And my cousin meets me there, and we're getting ready to have lunch, and I'm standing in line just about ready to make my order. And I turn around, and guess who I saw? Cindy. And I think I might have winked at you. I have no moves, by the way. As a single man, I had no, that was the best move I had right there. And so I'm sitting there eating my lunch, and Cindy's eating hers, and she's over by the drink fountain. And pretty soon it was time to get up and go back to work, so I got up and I went over and I filled my cup. And about that time, she had dumped her tray and she walks out the door with me. And she asked me out. <laughs> Actually, her, her, her exact words was, was, would it be inappropriate of me because you know my wife, would it be inappropriate of me to share my phone number with you? And I said, no, it wouldn't be inappropriate at all. God had a plan. And it wasn't very much longer. Cindy and I were together and married and trying to bring our families together. And we were attending the Nazarene Church in Delta, Colorado. And that's where we met Terry Hedrick. And I had never heard of Cowboy Church before. Never. And we were down there, and the next thing you know, I was at this time now, I was starting to record in Nashville, and I was back and forth, and I was going out on the road some, and, and then Terry knew that I was a musician, and he says, you're going to lead my worship. I couldn't play the guitar, guys, at all. I had one. The reason I had one is because when I was in Nashville, because when you're down there, you got, Throw a rock and you can hit 500 guitar players that can play blindfolded and deaf better than I can any day of the week. And, and I didn't need one down there. And I, I, the only reason I had one is because I was a cowboy hat and dressed and they said it makes a good prop. And so they started doing my photo shoots for the album cover with a guitar. It was a prop. An $800 prop. And Terry tells me, you're going to be my worship leader. Well, Great. I came up, and we had a piano player, so I thought, no problem. She can lead the music, she can play, and I can sit here, turn the volume completely down, and I can act like I am playing guitar, and that's what I did until the music leader quit, or the piano player moved to a different town. Her and her husband were over-the-road truck drivers, and they took a different job, and it's like, oh, now what? And that poor church had to endure me learning to play the guitar right there in front of them, and it was ugly. But Terry just kept on pushing me out there. And uh, he started taking me out. The next thing you know, you know, he, he somehow thought that my name meant something. So he would advertise events and put my name out there. Just because I'm recording in Nashville don't mean anybody knows me, you know. And, but he started taking us around, and, and we were doing ministry. We were doing, I was doing a lot of funerals. I was doing, uh, you know, I did a couple weddings. We were doing cowboy camp meetings. We were doing all kinds of stuff, and I was going out. We were doing Valentine's deals in Gateway, Colorado. I mean, he drug us all over. But he exposed me to cowboy ministry for the first time. And I tell you right now, this church wouldn't be here without his influence. We, uh, some years went by and I was the worship leader down there and I learned, actually learned to play the guitar and sing. Well, I didn't know how to sing, but I learned to play the guitar and, and, and things were going all along and and uh, I thought, I felt God calling me away, and I thought he was calling me into music ministry, and I was starting to go out on the road as a Christian artist. I got hooked up with uh, 
man by the name of Jamie Slocum, who was a contemporary Christian recording artist and a staff writer for Curb Records, and I was going out touring with him and opening with him, and I thought that's the direction God was going to take me, and, and uh, Jamie ended up with some situations in life, and he kind of pulled off the road, and there I, there I had nothing to do. So Terry called me up, and he said, I'm wanting to start a cowboy church in Montrose. And he said, would you help me? And I said, I will. So we started it, and it was called the Cross and Spurs Cowboy Church. And up until recently, and maybe they still are, but they met at the fairgrounds. I don't know if they are now. They were still going to meet out there. Well, good. There's always been a small group of people meet in Friendship Hall out there, and they were the Cross and Spurs Cowboy Church. And that's who we were in the beginning. And we had probably 20 people, maybe 25. And... Um, Terry made some decisions that I didn't totally agree with, that the church didn't totally agree with, actually, and was wanting to do some things, and they were about ready to quit, and I told Cindy, I said, we've invested this much in this group of people, let's stay with the group of people, and so we did, and we brought in a guy that I had gone to Bible college with, the pastor of the church, because I was running from God still, I didn't want to preach, I'm still running from God, I still don't want to preach, but he's winning right now. And we, brought, <laughs> and we brought in Rick, and Rick came in, and we started going, and the church would grow up to 10 or 15, or uh, 15 or 30, or I think we even got as high as 50 at one point in time, but the church was gradually moving away from what God had on my heart when we started this whole thing as what a cowboy church should look like. And none of us knew what it should look like, but we knew where we were going wasn't it. And that's when I got in touch with John Coe, and John said, you need to let that guy go, and you need to come down to our Bible college, or down to our uh, Cowboy Church University that we're having in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. So Richard and Black and I bought last-minute plane tickets and jumped on a plane and went down there. And John then was sitting there giving his speech out in front of all these preachers and stuff. And uh, he knew that I had agreed to temporarily pastor the church. And he pulls his glasses down over his nose and he looks at me and he says, and why are you the temporary preacher? Well, he kind of guilted me into it. And I think of all those people who are not with us today that have influenced us. And Terry Hedricks is one of them. And even, even honestly, uh, the second pastor we had who's now pastoring, if it wouldn't have been for him pushing me to go in an opposite direction. And I just look at this and I think, God, I've just been along for the ride. You've been doing this the whole time, you and all these other people. I can't take credit for this. You've been doing it, and I've just been going along for the ride. And really, that's all he asks of us, guys. Matthew chapter 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always till the very end of the age. All we have to do is be willing participants, and he'll do the work. I mean, we have to work. Obviously, those of you who have ever been in our camp know we have to work. <laughs> but God makes it happen. It's all God. This is his church. This is his kingdom. This is his work. And it's always about him. And it got me to thinking, how many people have influenced my life to get me to where I am this morning? And I wonder how many people have I influenced. And I pray to God that there's some out there. And I pray to God that there's some people out there that you have influenced in a positive way. 
I want to share this scripture with you. This is Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through, 35, through 41. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another just as the, the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed people, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you read the rest of the scripture, which it gets really long because it repeats, the people on his left did none of these things. I want to be on his right, guys. I want to be one of those who inherit the kingdom. I want to be one of those who give to the least. So who are the least? Who, are it, who is it that's the least in God's eyes? It's not just orphans. It's not just, it's not just widows. It's not just those who have fallen on hard times. It's every single soul who is still lost in depravity out there. Every person in Montrose, Colorado who does not know the Lord today, in my book, is considered the least of these. These are who Jesus is talking about. He uses some examples, but he didn't go into every example. And there are people out there today who are lost. There are still people in Montrose that we have not reached. And we can't quit. Because God puts us here for a moment. He put Terry Hedrick on this earth for 68 years. And, and while I admit there were things that I did not agree with, I have to say Terry Hedrick had a calling Terry Hedrick loved the Lord, and he did his very best to the best of his abilities to live out his calling. And I only hope that when my funeral comes, which I don't think I'm going to have, I'm still a rapture man, but I hope that when I see the Lord, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You lived out your calling. We got off to a rocky start, Gary. You said no a few too many times. Probably shouldn't have homemade that license plate, but I bailed you out of that one too. But well done. And I want you guys to hear it too, because that calling is not just for preachers. For the least of these, what you've done for the least of these. So my question is, how much should we do? At what point do we say, okay, God, I stop every week and I throw a few bucks at the guy at the entrance to the Home Depot parking lot or the exit of Walmart 
I'm giving to the least of these. I'm going to tell you about the guy at the Home Depot parking lot or the Walmart exit. He might have more money than you. Just going to say. I don't think that's exactly what God was talking about. How do you say, God, I go to church twice a month. How much more do you want from me? How do you say, God, well, I volunteered last year for kids' camp, and it was hard, and I'm going to take a break this year. Or, and I'm just using that. I'm not recruiting for kids' camp, by the way. That's Stacy's job. I'm just throwing it out there. God, I stripped cows for the past two years, and I'm not going to strip them this year. Or, God, I've done this, or, God, I've done that, and I don't, I, I don't want to do it this year. And my question is, if you can figure out a way to say no to God, tell me. Because I can't. And I've tried. I'm 50 years old. I started when I was 20. So I've got 31 years of experience of trying to say no to God. And here I sit. God still gets his will. And that's not a bad thing. But we're all here for a moment. And I know Terry Hedrick has touched a lot of lives. And I think of my grandfather, who I miss dearly. I wouldn't, other, for, other than the obvious reason I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him, because he's my grandfather, but I wouldn't be in church if it wasn't for him. Him and Grandma coming down to the house every Sunday morning and loading me up in their Toyota pickup with no air conditioning or radio and hauling me to church 30 miles down the road with them. I should say... Grandma and Grandpa and a cute little brunette who used to hold my hand in the third pew back from the... That was another contributing factor as to why I kept going to church. <clears throat> but God was doing it all. See, none of us would be here if it wasn't for somebody who was in our life for a moment, who had influence on us some way. My question to you this morning is, how are you going to influence someone else? How are you going to end up on the right side of our God when he separates the sheep from the goats? And at what point have you done enough? I think about that a lot. I think about all the things I'd like to do now that my kids are grown and I have no, none of them at home. And I think, well, dang, this church gets in the way sometimes. I think that, you know. But how do I tell God no? How do I tell God, God, I've had enough. I'm too busy. I've got a lot of fishing that I need to get caught up on, God. Now that I have an airplane, God, I have places to go. Probably not a good idea to peeve God off when you're a pilot. How do I tell God that? And I wrestle with that. I do, guys. The truth of the matter is, I don't believe there's a retirement plan when you work for the kingdom of God. For any of us. We're all in it together. We've got people out here who are the least in God's eyes. People who are lost to depravity this morning in Montrose that still need to be reached. We're starting a school as a means of outreach. I know nothing about being an educator, 
And I got Stacy going around telling people I'm going to be the principal of the school. <laughs> I'm not qualified for that, but okay. I really don't want any part of it. But if, well, we can do that. I, I can't tie them to the fence. But if that's what it takes to see these depraved people come to know the Lord, then I guess that's what we do. If we can play some kind of a part in combating the evil that's out there in our school districts, and for the record, since I'm on Facebook, I'm not attacking anybody with Montrose School District or talking badly about them in any way, shape, or form. But our government keeps intruding into our families, and if we can't offer an alternative to that, who will? So we're going to work for that. We're going to strive for that. A few minutes ago, it's 20 minutes till, and there was just a handful of people in this building. And Cindy looked out and said, what is going on? Nobody's here. My first thought was, well, let's go home. <laughs> but you showed up, and as I look out, we're full again this morning. How many we got? Anybody got a number? 95. Way to go, guys. You guys, from the time that we started the church until present days, you guys have always been the small portion of our church. Our evening crowds have usually been the bigger. And we have seen as many as about 126 maybe or something like that of an evening service. That's pretty full in here. But you guys are doing well. <laughs> 95. Huh? It's because, well, yeah, we bribe people at night. Yeah, exactly. I, I am not above bribing people for Jesus at all. Nowhere in the Bible does it say bribery is a bad thing. So if we have to use food to get people, and we have done that, believe me, there have been plenty of people over the years, as I think back, that have come because of our food. Sure, not because of what I have to say. And so the Lord has convicted me again. I've talked about this a little bit off and on, and I went to the board a while back, and I said, I think I'm going to have to just put church addition on hold, because I am too busy. Our work schedule is ridiculous right now. We need people to get the jobs done that we've got now. We don't need to be taking on more. But God said, you're too busy for me? Well, there went that. So I'm announcing to the board of any of them who are here, we're going to revisit this and we are going to have to do this. We got 95 here this morning. We'll have this many tonight. We, we need to grow this church. I'm still seeing a lot of new faces, a lot of folks coming, but our, but our numbers, you know, are, are not what, we were the fastest growing church for a couple years on a six-state district. I want to go back to that because there's still a lot of people who are the least of these in this town that need us. And we're all, any of us are only going to be here for a moment. We've only got a, a short period of time that God is going to use us, and then he's going to call us home. And we need to do our jobs while we're here. And so I think part of that is to get this daggum church expanded, no matter what the cost, no matter how much effort it's going to take. And let's get this thing added on to and get it done. And let's keep growing God's church here in Montrose. And let's keep reaching lost souls. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to be talking more and more about that. The school thing, I'm all in on that. You know, Stacy has tried to get the board to commit 
to how long are we going to try this, you know, before we give up on it, basically. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but you wanted a commitment out of us, didn't you? You did. And we couldn't give her a commitment. Well, I'm telling you this morning, I'm all in on this. It, it, it uh, was good to hear that your advertising is already beginning to yield a lot of interest. Guys, I don't know anything about education. Nothing. But I think we can do a better job than the government. And this school is going to be unique. It's going to be God-centered. And I think this church is going to grow as a result of it. So we better build a building and be ready for it. So that's what we're going to do. But I want you guys to think in your own personal lives. How much are you doing for the Lord and how much is enough? Who are you touching in your life? It doesn't have to be here at the church. It can be in your life. Are you sharing the Lord with people? I think back at my grandfather. I'm not the only one who's in church today. He's got a lot of folks in heaven today because he was willing to share Jesus with whoever he met if the opportunity arose. And even in Grandpa's case, even when the opportunity didn't arise, he still shared sometimes. But I guarantee you he'll be on the right side on the day of judgment, and I want to be there with him. And I want all of you there with me too. So what are we doing? As a church, what can we do to reach the least of these? That's my prayer this morning. That's my question for you. And I want you guys to ponder on it. And, and if you've got ideas of things you can do, ministries. I, you know, a lot of people think, well, that's a cowboy church. I can't attend a cowboy church because I'm not a cowboy. Well, as I look out there, very few of you are. More in our evening crowd than, than, than in our morning crowd. And that's okay. We knew that going into this. You target the cowboy and people are drawn to that for some reason. Just look at how popular Yellowstone's been. Yellowstone's going to help cowboy churches, I'm going to tell you right now. 1883 will too. So, what can you do? Well, it doesn't always have to be horse related. It doesn't always have to involve the cows. What do you like to do? Do you like to do archery? You know, we did archery the first year that we were really up and going. We bought 3D targets and we put on, we didn't do it here, we did it out of my place. But we, we set three, and we had an archery tournament, and we gave away prizes at the end, and we drew in people that just loved archery. I'm all in on that stuff, guys. If somebody out there wants to do something like that, let's get it done. Let's do it this fall. We've got, play, we got room. We'll pin up the cows for the weekend, and don't shoot our cows. But we'll pin up the cows, and we can set targets up back there. I think our targets are pretty near shot. Maybe some of you like ATVs. That arena out there would work for an ATV rodeo if somebody knew how to do it. Doesn't just have to be horses and cows out there. Maybe some of you like doing other things. Maybe some of you are in av avid fly fishermen. Maybe, maybe there can be a group of people that go fishing. Maybe the, you know, I am, I am on board to see ministries that will reach the least of these. However we have to do it. And it doesn't always have to be cowboy related. So don't be afraid to say yes to Jesus. Because saying yes to Jesus was really the best thing I've ever done in my life. Look at what it got me. It brought me you guys. It brought me Cindy. Most of the time, that's a good thing. 
in both cases. So don't be afraid to say yes, because you all have the same call I do. What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you these, for these who have come. And Lord, I think of the prayer request of the church, and, and uh, Lord, specifically those who have lost loved ones over the past week or two. Lord, many of us know all too well what that's like, and, and it's a, a life-changing event. And Lord, I just pray that you give comfort to those who are in need of comfort this morning. We know that the loved ones are most likely in a better place with you. You know, the song we sing, God Only Cries for the Living, we know that's true. They're surely not upset that they're up there. I think of my loved ones up there. They're probably not thinking about me. And I still think about them. So I know, Lord, it's those of us who survive that are the ones that are in need of prayer. So I lift them up to you this morning. Lord, I just pray for uh, thanks for the, the answer to prayer requests. As we thank Alexi Bingham and her recovery and, and all the things that we have prayed about over the past year and those who have survived cancer and everything. Lord, you are active. Anybody who says there's no evidence of God just doesn't know how to look. Lord, we thank you for being our God. Just pray that you be with each and every one of us now as we depart this week. Bring us all back together next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, but you're not really sure how, please feel free to email us at circle3podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's circle, the number three podcast at gmail.com. We would love to help you out. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click follow. That way you never miss a message. Cowboy churches are the fastest growing in the nation, so there's sure to be one near you if you'd like to try it out. Have a great day. See you next time.